Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. And today I'm going to continue with this message in this series that we're doing entitled The Core. And uh, I shared some of this, in case you missed last week or the week before, I'm going to open up just a little bit to kind of to lay a little bit of foundation as we get into this message today, okay? And so first, month, first week we talked about this, about your heart. We talked about how your heart is so important, right? Your heart needs to be healthy. You as an individual, your heart. We talked about that. Last week we talked about your soul, or actually really talked about your voice, because your soul can only be as healthy as you communicate to people. If you hold everything in, don't talk about anything. Everybody goes through trials. Everybody goes through issues. People deal with things in life. But if you bottle it up and don't talk about it, it gets worse. Contrary to what people told you growing up, you can't just hold it all in, be tough, be a big man. No, you need to be able to disclose things. They found out now that uh, men and women who come back from war and what used to be such difficulties in PTSD years ago with like in my grandfather's generation and even in Vietnam and other, other wars, even Gulf Wars, the first they found out now that there's a way to begin the healing process, but it starts with communication. And if you taught anybody in the military, my grandfather never told me one thing about what he dealt with, not one time. And most military guys, if they've seen conflict, the ones that talk about what they've done and seen probably didn't really get into it a whole lot, just being honest. The ones who don't tell you anything, they say, I don't want to talk about it. More than likely, they've been through the worst of the worst. And why do they not talk about it? Because they don't want to think about it. But the answer is to actually talk. To get it out. Not telling everybody, but somebody you trust that you can actually disclose things and begin that process of inner healing. And they've found they've actually begun to heal the brain. The brain is a powerful thing God created. Just like you get a cut on your arm, you put a Band-Aid on it, or you stub your toe and it bleeds or whatever. If you put some ointment on it or whatever to wrap it up a little bit, the body will try to heal itself. Now, if you've got some gashes, you need some stitches, you've got to go take care of that, but it will heal itself. The brain is the same way. And God created that part of you. It is not exclusive on its own. Like, we shouldn't talk about it because we're Christians. We're just going to read the Bible. No, your brain is a part of your life. The soul part of you, David cried out and said, bless the Lord, oh my, yeah, not my spirit, my soul. It's important. So we talked about the last week. If you didn't hear it, go online, you can hear it. Again, today, I talked this message, together, it means more than just Sunday morning. Together, it means more than just Sunday morning. So we talked about the heart, individual, we talked about the soul, your voice, kind of unload some stuff together with some other people, a small group. Now we're talking about together. What does it really mean to be together as a church body, okay? Now, when I go to church out of town, let me tell you what I do. It's easy to go to church on Sunday morning and be non-relational. Just, just let it sink in for a moment. It's easy to go to church on Sunday morning and be non-relational. Because when I go out of town, that's what I do. Like when I go to my friends' churches, if I go out to Dallas or if I go to my buddy's church over in Alabama, or even locally, if I go to Pastor Jared's church for some event or something like that, you know what I don't do? I don't go find the info center. I don't go looking for how to plug in. I don't look at the cards in the back of the seat and go like, well, you know what? I wish someone had called me and talked to me about how I could become a part of their Sunday school or something like that. You know why? Because I have no desire to plug into somebody else's church. I'm plugged into my church, and that's enough for me. You know what I'm saying? When I go to their church, though, now I don't take advantage of it. If I go into their church, I go to the restroom, I make sure I 
flush the toilets because that's just a normal thing you do. It ain't Talladega, baby. You understand what I'm saying? We flush toilets. That's called normal things. But I flush their toilets. If I see one that's not flushed, I flush that one too. I can't stand it. I don't understand that. I go to the men's restroom. Maybe you ladies, that's not a problem. But I'm going to tell you something. Men have something they were taught when they were younger that said, don't flush the toilet. I guess they're scared of the flush valve. I don't know what it is. But it's not going to grab you guys. It's going to just be all right. Flush the thing, right? And then, not only that, I go and wash my hands because that's good hygiene. You wash your hands after you go to the restroom. That's why how we invented the fist bump, just so you know. But when I'm at the sink, if it's all messy and other guys have left a bunch of paper towels, you know what I do? And I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you, this is what I do. This is not my church. It's somebody else's church. I'll take a few extra paper towels because I don't want to touch it. So a few extra on top. Throw it in a trash can, you know, and then I'm going to wash my hands. I don't touch that nasty stuff. Because I can't, because to me, it's not my church. I am not relational there at all. But that's a brother in the Lord's congregation. And I am a part of the kingdom. So technically, in a sense, it is a part of the body of Christ. So I'm going to make sure I do my part to take care of that. Because I may not want to be relationally with them, but I'm still going to take care. I don't take advantage of it. You understand what I'm saying? But if it's my church... Totally different all the way. I'm going to plug in. And if I plug in, and what I mean by that, I'm Sunday morning, Sunday morning is a great time to be non-relational. It's easy to do. But if I'm going to be a part of my church, I'm going to plug in. I'm going to be a part of the church. I'm going to worship in the church. I'm going to serve in the church. I'm going to volunteer in the church. I'm going to be generous in the church. I'm going to, be, I'm going to dig deep and be a part of the church. But... I understand why it's, there's such hesitancy in doing that. I really, really do. And I'm going to share some things I felt like the Lord gave me today that sounds independent of this message, but just hang tight as we get into it. If you're here, just full disclosure, if, if somebody told you, invited you to this church, and they told you, man, you should come to this church. Like, our church is awesome. People love you. Like, the church is great, the people are great, the kids' stuff's great, the student pastor's okay. It's like, you know, <laughs> sorry, that's Pastor Steve. <laughs> You're going to love the pastor, he's awesome. Okay, we'll let that go. But anything else, like if, if they built it up so high and you came in and like, already you're disappointed, I promise you, this is not. Full disclosure here, not hiding anything, total transparency. This is not a perfect church. Not even close. Like, we got issues, we got problems, we got flaws. And if you're looking for people that, like, got angel wings, you, may, you found the wrong church. I promise you, I love every one of these folks in here, but I promise you they got stuff going on in their life just like I do, just like my family does. Everybody has something going on. So full disclosure, please don't make your decision based on that. But I know... In reality, so many times people get hurt at a church, something goes wrong at a church, and that affects their spiritual walk, their emotional walk, and their decision to buy in again and go deep in a church. Because, man, if you got hurt in one, why would, you know, listen, I'm no dummy. You know, when I worked with electricity, if I got shocked once, just once, that's a lesson. 
I don't go back and just go again, again. No, what I do, my brain says, go turn the breaker off. Someone has turned it on. Go fix it, right? Your mind tells you, I got hurt at the last one. I ain't getting hurt at another one. So therefore, I will put up guards around my life. I refuse to go to anything relationally because that makes me have to open up, connect deeper, and it might cause me to be hurt again. I understand completely that. I, I totally, full, full disclosure, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <clears throat> it just came to my heart, so I think I should say this. Full disclosure, I've had more opportunities to be hurt in church than outside of the church. Man, when I worked construction, people just cussed you out, and you went back to work the next day with them. No big deal. It was cool. I mean, you ate lunch with them. I mean, there's a few times it didn't go so well, but most of the time it, it worked out. Because you were forced to deal with them on the next job. You had to deal with them. In church, you don't have to deal with anybody. You can easily be non-relational and find another one that will let you be non-relational. And so the cycle continues on. I, I get it. I do. And I hate that. I hate that at church, that's the, that's the thing that most people think about. It's like, man, I've been hurt at church. I have too. I mean, let's just do... I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is participation, right? If you've ever been hurt at a church, could you just be bold and lift your hand? Like, if it's anybody ever hurt you at a church, look at, just look around. Oh, my, that's crazy to me. But it happens. And you know why it hurts more? Because it's not just an emotional hurt. It's a spiritual hurt, too. And it cuts to the core, man. So today I want to talk to you, though, and just be real with you about this, that Together, it means more than Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a non-relational time. You can talk to people before and after, but it's really non-relational. If you really want the most out of your church, you got to go deep. So let me give this to you. This is an image. This is a, an image actually from Martin Luther King Jr. Tomorrow we'll be celebrating Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and just a reminder of all that he stood for and what he did. But listen to what he says. He says this. Put it on the screen for you. He says, the richer we have become materially... The poorer we have become morally and spiritually. We have learned to fly in the air like birds and swim in the sea like fish, but we have not learned the simple art of living together as brothers. As brothers. Whether you agree or don't agree with things in life, it still doesn't matter. You can still have relationship with people. Whether your political party is red and yours is blue, there should still be some form of relational equity that is bigger than a party line. Otherwise, we're no different than those who just scream and fight at each other. If, if your doctrine, and I mean, I'm saying this, you love Jesus, they love Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. You can agree on that. But if your doctrine creates such friction that you cannot have a discussion, a regular conversation, there's a problem there. Because God doesn't divide. Satan divides. Even if you don't agree doctrinally. I don't, I don't agree with myself as much as I used to. Now, Do you understand what I'm saying? The older I get, the more I read, the more I study, I realize, you know what? I know some things, but some things I go, I don't know if I think that now. I still believe Jesus is the Lord. I'm not backing off on anything like that. But it's not worth the fight. But that's what happens. So I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2. This is an introduction to the, to the birth of the church. 
And it's going to show you, I believe, a, a recipe for relationship. And I'll explain a little bit more about that. Let's look at the, on the screens there. If we Acts chapter 2, or you can open your Bible, click on it, either one. But Acts 2.42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So in other words, they're hearing Bible teaching, they're having relationships. They're having a breaking of bread. That means they're having some food. That's awesome. And then they're having prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now watch this. Verse 44. And all those who had believed were together. They were what? Together. Let's say it like we know it. They were what? They were together. Now this was 120 in the upper room. A little pretext before you... Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit has fallen. They have all been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all sitting in there in awe of everything. They are together. 120 of them were together. That's who they're talking about. He goes on. It says, and they, all those who were there, they believed and were together and had all things in common. In other words, that means not just their life. That means their social status, their economic status. It means every, they understood one another so much. No one was off the page over here and no one was over there. We're together so much. It's common. We're we have everything in common with one another. Don't you hate it when you don't have anything in common with somebody? You're trying to talk to them about something, and, and you're going, they're going like, whew, 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 whew. you're like, man, I just feel Yeah, I just don't get you, man. You want to be sweet and love them like Jesus, but you want to say, yo, man, I don't understand you. Like, we're just different. They had everything in common. And it says this, watch. And verse 45, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Man, you, you've got to really be together. If you're going to start selling off your house, selling off your car, unloading your camels, whatever you got, and pulling all that stuff together to help people in need, you really must be together. And I think sometimes, because of what we read here, these new Christians, they were part of something greater than just individuals. I think sometimes we read this, and this is what we think, and maybe you don't think this, but I, <laughs> I wonder sometimes if we don't. If we get that together, well, God asked me to sell my house. Like, what? if we really get together, then I have to hear about somebody else's need. And like, what if their need's greater than mine and I can actually meet it? Well, God asked me to do something like that. Sell my house and my cars. So it's almost like, I don't want to get too deep because if I do that, man, I've heard them stories. People talking about how God just said, I want you to sell your car and give it to them. Give them the money or give your car away. I don't want to, I mean, that's freaking me out, man. What if God does? I don't want to do that. I just want to put you at ease a little bit and think about what's going on here. So the first thing I want you to see with this is they trusted together. They trusted together. Now, I'm going to give you some context again, but this is after, this is after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They all had everything in common, okay? Peter stands up to preach. This guy was timid and afraid. You remember Peter? He was afraid. He denied Jesus three different times. He was scared, senseless. Now he's baptized in the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit of God. And he stands up and proclaims, and 3,000 people get saved. Totally 180 transformation. He's preaching. He's proclaiming. And as he's doing this, these people have all come together now. They've heard the gospel. This all is around them in such a way that they're selling their houses. They're selling their donkeys. They're selling their whatever they got. It seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Like, where are they going to live? I was singing a song to Haley today because I was reading this. And she's like, I've never heard that song before in my life. I was like, you never heard this? Billy Ray Cyrus, you never heard this song? 
you know, where am I going to live when I get home? Y'all never heard it either? Oh, my old lady's thrown out everything I own. Y'all never heard this? Oh, man, come on. You ever, I'm going to give you the rest of it because it'll stick in your head all day. Since it's stuck in my head, I'm going to stick it in yours too. She meant what she said. and She wished that I was dead. <laughs> Where am I going to live when I get home? That's it. That's all I remember from it right there. But that's what I was thinking about. These guys had to be thinking the same thing. If I sell my house, where am I going to go? Man, God tells me to sell my house, my car. Thanks a lot, preacher. I joined a small group, and now great. The Lord said, sell this. Get rid of it. Now I got nothing. What am I supposed to do now? That's what I think sometimes people think. But the reality is this happened in a unique time slot. How the beauty of this from the Holy Spirit, this happened most people say Acts was written around 62, 64 A.D. Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Think about the genius of this. The Holy Spirit moves on them. They sell everything, their lands, their properties, their goods. Because what's it going to be worth in about four to five maybe years or so? When Rome destroys everything. Do you think they're really going to say, well, how are you doing, Mr. Jew? I'll let you sell your land and your stuff, and we'll give you top dollar. No. They unloaded everything, and the Holy Spirit protected them. Many of them probably moved. The Bible says they scattered. They went to other places. How genius was that? So you don't have to worry about getting together. That was a unique thing that happened. And I want to share this with you. This is my little side thing, okay? A couple of points here I'm going to give you, and then we'll keep going. But I really felt in my heart, I, I don't know who you are, but I felt like there were some of you here today that needed to hear this. This seemed very simple. And some of you are going to think, well, I already know this. I don't need to hear this. I'm going to say it anyway, okay? So if you already know this, then, I don't know, play Angry Birds or something for a moment. We'll pick you back up in about five minutes, all right? For everybody else who needs this, just hang out with this. When you read the Bible, you don't have to be afraid of what the Bible says. When you read the Bible... When I talk about becoming relationally connected and invested in people in your church, you don't have to fear that. You're not, God, if God did ask you to do something great, like sell your house and give it away to the poor, whatever, he's got a plan. If he did tell you to do something that seems extreme, he's got a plan. He's not going to pull the rug out from under you and be like, aha, <laughs> got you now. You know, he's, that's not God. He, this was done uniquely for this season for who they were. You don't see this happening anywhere there may be another couple of verses about something, but a big group of people doing this like this again in the Bible. It was unique to them. Okay? It would have been the equivalent of during the time of the Great Depression and God moving on Christians and selling their house two years before the Great Depression. Do you understand what I'm saying? It would have made sense. So let me give you some why this is so important. When you read your Bible, a couple of things to think about. Number one, context. I just feel strong. I, this may, if I only get anything out today, this is important because. I feel like there's some of you reading your Bibles, maybe you're reading right now with everybody in the church, reading verses, and you're reading things, and you're like, I don't understand why the Bible says this. It makes no sense to me. Number one is context. Read the context. Get enough before and enough after to make sense of what's going on. And ask yourself simple things. Who's this talking to? What's the culture? What's going on in that era theologically? In other words, what covenant is it? If you're in the Old Testament, there's going to be things that do not make sense when you read it compared to the New Testament. You can't take Old Testament things that happen. Guy was carrying sticks, was told not to work on the Sabbath. Guy's carrying sticks on the Sabbath. They said, what should be done to him? Because he's carrying sticks. I mean, it's obviously a crime. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it looks so extreme. <laughs> He's carrying sticks. What the, he, he, was, he was executed. That's Old Testament, though. You don't see that in the New Testament. You say, well, I don't understand that. I, I hear you. What covenant are you reading from? What dispensation, if you will, are you reading from? What part of the era of theology are you reading from? Because it matters. What about the political climate? It matters. What about the economic? It matters. What's the context of what you're reading when you read it? Ask yourself those questions. Take the verse of Scripture and contrast it. You take other Scriptures that you know or you can search. You contrast them with the one you're reading. Does it, listen very carefully to me, does it contradict Scripture? If it does, then further reading or study is needed. Because the Bible does not contradict itself. It brings clarity. Humans contradict the Bible. God's word is clear. But if you don't know what era you're reading from, it'll get you confused. So, you've got to contrast the scripture. And then the last one is you've got to compare scripture. You take verses, compare them with the one you're reading. Why do you do that? Because there should be enough scriptures to support what you're reading. Because if you only find one verse... One verse. And then it's not doctrinal enough. If it's just one. Just one. It doesn't have enough doctrinally support to stand on its own. You should be able to find multiple scriptures that support one another. The reason I'm so confident when I talk about the fact that, listen, why are we generous? Because the Bible is filled with verses on generosity. There's no question about it. Why, why do we pray? Because the Bible is filled with verses on prayer. Numerous verses about these kinds of things. One verse, though, that stands alone, only one, is not strong enough to handle itself doctrinally. It's got to have many things that support. Jesus said, man, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, my word will be established. You need to have some backup, you know. Now, I'm saying that because I feel like some of you in this room, you need to hear that because maybe you're confused about some stuff you're reading. You're reading some stuff from the Old Testament, maybe reading stuff from Job, maybe reading stuff over here, and you just you're trying to figure out, well, if this is what happened then, well, maybe that's why I'm going through what I'm going through now. You've got to understand who and what era are you reading from. It matters when you're reading your Bible. I said that to, to end with this idea right here. That God chose this book, and there are numerous books in this Bible, numerous authors in this Bible, more than one. Imagine now if it had only been one author that wrote the whole thing in a time span of 20 years. You might look at that and go, you know what? I, I can see how he can make that happen. Because he could line up everything, especially right now. He could Google everything, get it all lined up, be perfect, you know, and everything just be in order. No contradictions whatsoever. God chose many, many different authors, separate books and writings over a span of thousands of years to give enough time to disprove discredit, to confuse, to contradict anything. Because I think because he's big enough to say, I can handle it. So no matter what people are telling you right now about dating, about the whole, you know, what date system did they use? God's not worried about the date. He created it. He's not moved by what date system, carbon dating versus this dating, this fossil, that. He's not worried about that. He's not concerned with that. He's not concerned with what you find in the Bible. He's not concerned if you think you find something that contradicts. Because you know what? It doesn't. It only complements and brings clarity. Anything that you read is going to do that. So I think God says, go ahead and prove it out. 
I, I can take it. So the, that's, that's the first thing I want to share with you. The next thing, they believed together. They had to trust one another together. The second, they had to believe together. You know, it's, it's when you're on your own and you need someone to believe with you and agree with you, you have to have people. There are certain scriptures that do not work as an individual Christian. Do you know that? For instance, let me give you a few. If any two of you shall agree as touching any one thing, in my name it shall be done for you. You can't even make that work by yourself. And everybody say, well, me and Jesus, that's a majority. No, it ain't. You ain't a majority with Jesus. He's a majority by himself. He don't need you. No, if you really want the way it works is you get someone, well, I don't want to tell him anything. That's the problem. James says, confess your faults to one another that you might be healed. We ignore all this stuff because we want to be individuals. We're Americans. God bless us all. We're strong. We're independent. No, 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 no. No, we're not. We're, we're in trouble. And we don't say anything because we're afraid. This is why it's the trusting part comes in. Be careful what you tell to somebody you trust. But sometimes it needs, you need somebody to pray with you and agree with you. So Acts 4 to 32, listen to what he says. It says, that, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Again, it's same, same context of what I read a while ago. Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. And they just didn't care. They got rid of everything. But look at this. It was a congregation. This is a congregation. This is not a room of individuals doing individual things in their own individual way. This is a congregation. There is a big difference. The Bible gives the word about congregation for a reason. And this is why it's so important when I talk about you have to have a healthy heart and a healthy soul. Why? Because if your heart's not healthy, guess what it's going to do? It's going to affect the congregation. If your soul's not healthy, guess what's going to happen? It's going to affect the congregation. Why is that important? Because God wants his congregation to be strong. Let me give you a couple of words about this, what congregation is. The word congregation, it means the word assembly. But it actually comes from a Greek word called ekklesia. And you may have heard of this before. It's the word ek, which is ek. And it means out of, enclesis or klesis, or however you want to say it. But it means a calling, to be called out of. It's the whole idea when God says in his word, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. You're a congregation of believers. That's what you are. You come together under the banner of Jesus Christ as a Christian. We're a congregation. And again, why is this important? Because this is a church. You're not on your own. God never intended you to be on your own. You're supposed to be in relationship with other believers. Besides just your spouse, your dog, or your frog. Whatever. You've you got to have some relational connections. So when you deal with something, people can help you through it. Now listen. If an individual refuses to walk in agreement with its local ecclesia. Listen, I'm talking about they believe together. When an individual refuses to walk together, it affects him where God, I'm talking about where God has called him. It affects its worship. It affects its impact. It affects its generosity. This is why we have to work together, love one another, deal with one another. And people say, well, I don't like getting in groups because, man, I don't agree with them on everything. How will you ever learn to overlook one another's faults 
if you don't ever hang out with them. There are some scriptures in the church you can't do by yourself. When he says, forgive them as Christ. How can you forgive them if you don't ever get offended by them? You realize that, right? What he did was genius. It's like he said, I know you're a bunch of flawed people. I'm going to mix you all up like a blender and make you have to deal with one another's stuff. So you're forced to answer some of these scriptures. Forgive them like I forgive you. Oh, man. That means I have to hang out with them. Yeah. How can you learn how to brothers walk in unity? Like the precious anointing. Well, how are you supposed to do that if you're never together? Because right now, this is not a way that you create unity because you're just listening to me yak. It's easy to do this. What's tough is when a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord confronts you when you say, my wife's just a big old jerk. And they say, well, let me pray for you. What are you doing about it? Well, I don't have to do anything. I'm a good guy. And they say, eh. What do you mean? Eh. Well, you know, let's say you're always a good guy, would you? I'm always good. It's her. She's the problem. Eh, well, really? I mean, always? You're always just, are you sure about that? See, you get into those things. You're forced to in relationship. A couple of ideas. I'm going to read all these scriptures to you. But there's a guy named Achan. If you don't believe in individual effects congregation, watch this. There's a guy named Achan in the Old Testament. You can read it later. Joshua chapter 7. Go read the story. Achan, they were told to destroy Jericho. Remember the thing? Joshua and the, they run around the thing a couple of times, shouting, blowing horns and trumpets and everything else. The walls come crumbling down. Remember that story? All right, so they're supposed to destroy everything. Except the treasures, God said, put that in my treasury. Everything is destroyed as an offering to me. There's a guy named Achan in the Bible. Nobody's looking. He got some stuff and hid it in his tent. Nobody was watching. He's like, what? Got a couple of Rolex. It's cool, man. You know, he's, he's ready to go. You know, nobody knew. And then all of a sudden, they go to war with this little small town, little puny town. They should have easily just... And they got their tails kicked. And so God said, Joshua's like, what happened, God? You, we destroyed Jericho. Now what's going on? And God said, there's sin in the camp. Somebody's hiding something. And the, now you're talking about, aren't you glad this don't go on now? But in the Old Testament, he said, you call them out one by one. Big group, small group, next group, individuals. Boom, 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 boom. Man, I mean, God just pointed them all out. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, aren't you glad it's like, thank God for grace today, right? Anyway, they come through. And when it came down to Achan, he said, but, but I just didn't think it was that big a deal. It was a real big deal. They lost the fight because one individual hid stuff. Individual affects a congregation. An individual not only affects a congregation, but a congregation, watch this. When a congregation if a congregation, I'm not talking about us, if one does, refuses to submit to its head, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about Jesus, do you realize that congregation's lamp will slowly diminish, unbeknownst to itself, and eventually it will go out? In Revelation, Jesus gave this to all the seven churches. Remember the story in Revelation? Go back and read all these stories about the churches in Revelation. All these churches were there, and every single one of them had some little issue. Jesus pretty much summed it up by this. And he said, in the church, except for the church of Smyrna, not Georgia, but Smyrna, except for that one, his message was very similar. It went something like this. I know your condition. And he also said, I have this against you. And he said, repent. 
That's what he said. Three things. In a sense, every one of them. I know your condition. I got this against you. Repent. In other words, I know what you're doing. You're working hard. You're serving Jesus. You're standing up for me. That's great. I got this against you, though. You left your first love. Now repent and go back and do the thing which you once did before. People think Jesus is so sweet with blue eyes and loves you and pats you on the back and just hugs. Hey, listen. He's also a lion. He's not just sweet Jesus and loves you and gives you a hug and all that kind of stuff. He'll also tell you the truth. Straight up. It's in red in Revelation. You can go back and read it. But this is what happens when a congregation refuse. What happens? It begins to lose its lamp. You can go back and read about this. And then there's a nation. I'm giving you these for a reason. I want you to see this. But a nation. If a nation continues to rebel and refuses God's instruction, whether they be Christian or not, is it not true that nation would have more problems, more issues, more crime, more destruction? Absolutely true. So much so that the government will have to give its attention to those things and no longer give attention to other things that were once important. And God cares about your natural life. I'm going to read this one to you, but this is in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.1. This is why he says, First of all, I urge that entreaties or intercessions and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Watch this. First of all, for kings and all who are in authority. What? Well, I don't even like the guy in the office right now. It don't matter. You're supposed to pray for him. Well, I didn't like the last guy. It don't matter. You're supposed to pray for him too. It doesn't matter who's in office. And Chris, we have to understand this. What, this guy that he's talking about praying for was a big dirt bag in the Bible. He was one of the most he persecuted people. He was ruthless. And Paul said, Timothy, I want you to pray for him. Why would you do that? Listen to what he says. So that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. One translation says you might have a peaceable life. The, the individual is connected to the congregation. The congregation is connected to the nation. And when each of us don't, when we don't do our part, it affects everything. But in this nation, he says, pray for them. He wants your life to go well. He really does in the natural. It's not God just concerned about your spiritual welfare. He wants your natural life to be blessed as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let me give you this thought here. And in, in one of the other things that Martin Luther King Jr. said, I'm, I'm going to give you this. We'll put it on the screen for you <clears throat> and read this. I'm going to read you a, a cue from the first part, but this is the last part of it. Just leave it up there while I read you the first. He says, people fail to get along because they fear one another. They fear one another because they don't know one another. They don't know one another because they have not communicated with each other. We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. <clears throat> Why did he say that? Because how many times have you heard people get in such fights over political issues so we can't even talk? Getting fights over something happened 20 years ago in a family. Can't talk. Have some issue with some friend, and you've blown up, said, I'll never talk to him again. All because it was some, it doesn't really matter. Won't talk. And put up these things and forever refuse to let anybody else in because I got hurt by somebody before. And I'm telling you, Martin Luther King Jr., was, he knew what he was talking about. And I think if you, you would understand this, he stood for something a lot greater 
than most people could ever do. And by doing so, he's telling the story of how could you do what he did unless you're able to lock arms in unity? It took great strength and unity. And so, this was a prayer, though, that Paul is telling Timothy to pray. And why was he doing it? Because he's trying to make sure they understood what's the temperature right now in your life, individually, congregationally, nationally. Ask yourself that question right now. What's your temperature right now in your own life? Politically, where do you fall? I ain't talking about red or blue. It's something much more greater than if you're a red or a blue guy. I'm talking about what's your attitude about it? Does your politics outweigh your faith? Do you know more about what he's doing right now in the Oval Office than you know about what God's doing in the Bible? Are you more concerned about the next election than you are about the next move God's going to make? What's your political temperature? Where do you fall in it? Where's your congregational temperature? Are, Are you really in, man? Or is it just Sunday morning? hour and a half, and I can scoot out. No one knows me. It's easy. I get it. I get it. I get it. Everybody's been hurt in church. I understand. Where's your congregational temperature at? And then where's your individual life? Are you you really connected, man, in a life-giving church that loves you and cares about you and is willing to walk with you through some things? These individuals, man, the last thing what you see is this. Why this is so important, the last thing is that they grew together. I read this to you again from Acts 2 and verse 46. He says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were together. Not just on Sunday morning, they really were together. And as I say that to you today, here's what I want to challenge all of us with right now. Every single one of us in this room. I get it. Maybe you look at, because 50% of our church is involved in some kind of relational group. Whether it's in small groups, we have another group that's all involved in volunteering. That's great, too. That's awesome. But I don't want to challenge every one of us in this room right now. When we look at groups, they're great. Because I think biblical community is what God established. I think it's wonderful. My challenge, though, is to everyone here, do you have relational equity in your church where it's really, truly someone that knows you will call you if they don't see you. They actually know your name. It's like Cheers, man. You remember that show back in the 80s? You want to go where everybody knows your name. Everybody wants to do that, except at church. Do you someone know your name? Catch the Vision is another great place to start, where you can take another step closer. You get closer in your church and learn more about the church. So the question morning is this, am I really together? Am I really together? And I'm gonna ch- I want to challenge you. It's okay if you answer yourself and you say, no, I am not. Because honesty, you've got to be honest. One of the, the greatest healing moments of life is when we're honest with ourselves. You might fool everybody else from town. You may say, oh, no, no, man, I'm cool. I'm eating right. I'm eating healthy. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm, I'm dieting. I'm doing all the right things. You go home and eat cheeseburgers. No one is ever going to know. Maybe 40 years later, we'll know, but... Right now, no one's going to know. You can hide it for a while, right? But wouldn't you want to be honest with yourself to say, man, I don't eat the right things. I don't take care of my body. I'm eating cheeseburgers breakfast morning and night. I'm telling everybody else I'm eating green beans, but I know I'm not. 
I'm telling everybody else I'm on all this good stuff. I'm whatever, Atkin, Kato, and Keto, and everybody else. I got all this going on, but I know I'm really not. Why am I telling people that? Because I want them to think something about me that I really want to believe about myself. But the greatest moment of healing is when I start here and I go, am I really doing that? Am I really together in my church? Really? And don't be afraid to say, no, I'm not. It's the first step in in healing. Maybe you're here today, and then you're really connected. And maybe you say, man, I'm I'm so connected in my church. Like, I'm like glue, man. I'm like paint on the wall, baby. I'm, I'm here. That's great. Maybe God's asking you to be a leader of leaders. Maybe, that's why you got to look close, see. He didn't ask you to sell your house. He didn't ask you to unload all that. Maybe he's saying, I'm just asking you to use your giftings to help lead in your church. Maybe that's what God's asking you to do. But let me just say this. I'll give you this last quote here by Martin Luther King Jr. And here's the question. He says, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what? are you doing for other people? What are you doing for other people? It's easy to come in on Sunday morning and be non-relational. It's easy. My question this morning is, though, on the inside of you, you know that doesn't sit. That's not what it's supposed to be about. We're supposed to love one another, have meals together, fellowship, pray for one another, cry with each other, man. I'm not a big crier. But, man, if you're crying, I'm supposed to cry with you. I can do it. I don't cry a lot, but, you know, there are a few that will come out. I'm going to love you, though. You just have to believe I really am trying my best to cry. I just don't cry as much. But that don't mean I love you. I love you. I'm supposed to laugh with you, have joy with you. All those things are relational. You must be connected in a church to do that. Can't do it without it. So I want to challenge you with that and leave you less last thought. Don't be afraid of digging in to your church family. Okay? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up, and I want to leave you these last thoughts. Listen very carefully. And look at me with your eyes and all that stuff. These guys are on the team. They're coming up. Let me see your eyeballs, all right? Don't be afraid to dig in to your church. If you've been hurt before, listen, just tell somebody that. Then they'll be aware of it and say, you know what? I, I understand what you've gone through. I bet you they probably got their own story. I mean, they, who knows? But don't be afraid to dig in. When you dig in deep, it becomes a biblical community that God talks about in the Bible. Without that, it's just a gathering on Sunday morning. You've got to dig deep. And if it's a really a church, listen to me very, if it's really a church a life-giving ecclesia, a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to bless you. It's going to build you up. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to grow. And even though you may have disagreements with somebody in your group or whatever else like that, they don't cook the way you cook or you don't like the way they did this, that all that stuff has to fall down because God is chiseling away some things to say, you know what, I, I want to get something out of you and make you different. But I can't make you different if you don't get around some biblical people to, to challenge one another a little bit. But a church should do that. If a church only uses, abuses, and overrules everything, just you, you can't have any life in that, that's not really a church. A church should bring life, and it should grow you, develop you. So 
it also will challenge you and strengthen you. It's not just going to let you come in on Sunday morning and look at me and smile when I look at you. And you look at me back and be like, it's all good, Pastor. Everything's great. Because I can't tell if it really is from here. Like right now I'm looking at all y'all smiling at me and it's so cool. Like you just smile. Everybody look at me and just smile. You're such happy people. You're such happy people. I look at you right now and I think, man, your life must be amazing. I bet today you're going to post, the cat's awesome, the dog's great, the kids are great. Scratch the cat. The dogs are great. The people are wonderful in my life. Everything's just rosy. You play cool music on your posts and it's just funny stuff. And that's what I see right now. All I see is just blessing and beauty and love and joy. But I bet, I bet if I was to take five minutes with you over a cup of coffee, I bet that might, yeah, you thought that, Pastor. Let me just tell you. Let me tell you what happened. You know what? This took place here. I had this deal. Because if you're, unless you're not human, a cyborg or some kind of alien that's came down from some Marvel movie or something like that, you're a human like me. You're dealing with stuff, right? So that's what I think really is there. I'm asking you to go deep in your church. Dig deep in your church. Let me pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. And I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you're here with us, God, that you are here to lead and God and direct our steps. Lord, I thank you that, God, that you would speak to hearts today. Lord, I know, and what I'm saying, God, I know how easy it is just to come in and go. Lord, I just pray today you'd challenge hearts. God, that this is something that you're speaking, that not for my benefit, but, God, for their benefit. Lord, they need you, but, God, they also need the relational church that you created, God. This was your idea, not a man's idea. Lord, you created the church. And you said you want to build your church, and the very gates of hell wouldn't even prevail, Lord. And those are offensive statements, Lord, that are moving forward, not defensive statements that just stand back and hide behind some kind of gate. Lord, we know that you want to do great and mighty things, but, God, we also know in order for that to take place, we must be a church that is together, that digs deep, is willing to know one another, love one another, and support one another through difficult seasons. So, God, I pray for them right now. I pray that you would help us to do that today. May they join a small group. May they go through Catch the Vision. Maybe they, they connect through volunteering or, or whatever the case might be. But in Jesus' name, they slow down long enough to connect relationally today. And I pray today if they don't know you, that they would come to know Christ. Just right there where your eyes are closed and with your head bowed just for a moment. You're here today and you say, man, I don't know Jesus Christ. I've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I want to pray with you right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to pray a prayer. The whole church is going to pray with me right now, and I want you to pray this with me. You say, dear Jesus, I come before you. I give you my heart, and I give you my life. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me and to cleanse me. I ask you to save me. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you. Right, church? Would you give me a hand? If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.